electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the keynote by CNBC Events. I'm Tyler Matheson. On this podcast, we bring you in-depth, candid conversations with executives, experts, and thought leaders. On this episode, you'll hear from author and futurist April Rinney. Her book, Flux 8, Superpowers for Thriving in Constant Change. It outlines how a mindset that embraces change can empower anyone to navigate uncertainty both personally and professionally. Rennie joined us at CNBC's At Work Summit on October 13th, 2021, where she explained the flux mindset to my colleague, CNBC special correspondent Jane Wells. Here's their conversation. A flux mindset is the ability to see all change, and that's good or bad, expected or unexpected, and especially the difficult changes, to see all of it as an opportunity to learn, to grow, and to improve. So humans have a very complicated, messy relationship with change, and yet the future is going to be more change, including more of the kinds of changes that that we don't control, um, some of which we've experienced over the past 19 months. And so a flux mindset really starts to up-level um, our, our relationship to change and how we, how we think about it and reshape it from the inside out and for the long term. Some of these uh, superpowers you talk about really fundamentally, culturally change how we think about work and productivity. One that spoke to me was run slower. I'm someone who lives by the to-do list. I can't let's get, let's make it through that list. Look, I got through the list. But you're saying by run slower, you can actually get more done. Uh, explain how. Yeah, each of the flux superpowers is counterintuitive in some way. And a lot of it goes against the script, if you will, that society has given us and that we've been living and working by for the past many decades. There's so many common themes we can leverage here. But one of them is that society has typically told us that when the pace of change quickens, we need to run faster and just keep up. And yet, the pace of change today is faster than it's ever been, many would say, and yet it's likely to never again be this slow. When you let that sink in, it's a little bit exciting and a little bit terrifying because what society is saying is however fast you're running today, you're going to be running faster tomorrow, faster next week, faster next year, and all of this effectively for the rest of your lives. And when you look at this, and you can think about this in terms of burnout and anxiety and exhaustion, which we're seeing you know, across the board, but you can also think about this in terms of when do you make your best decisions? When are you most innovative? When are you most creative? Not when you're running constantly ever faster. The biggest risk, risk that we run here is that when you're running ever faster, you run the risk of running straight past life. And so my thesis and this superpower is in a ever faster paced world, we need to learn how to slow our own pace. Now, I don't mean being lazy. I don't mean doing nothing. Um, I don't mean stop. I mean run but run at a pace that is sustainable for life. 
And it also it helps you, as you say, to see what's on the periphery, things you've been missing in your employees or their ideas or even the, the ideas they have to contribute. And you also said entrepreneurs too often accept the first VC money that comes their way and they learn to regret it. True? In my experience as an advisor to quite a few startups and whatnot, yes. Um, when we're running ever faster, we're making quick decisions. Those are not necessarily wise decisions. When you slow down, another one of the superpowers is what I call see what's invisible. You learn to see more. You learn to see what's on the edges. You learn to, you, you identify some blind spots. You, th you see things that you couldn't see when you were constantly going ever faster. So yes, this plays out in terms of um, what kind of money you're looking for and whether it's a good fit for your company. It plays out in terms of this invisibility, invisible talent. What do we, do we look at talent for just what's on their resume or do we look at talent for the lived experience that's not on it but often makes them who they are? We look at this in terms of invisible value. Um, I spent many years in the sharing economy, and I like to say that sharing economy entrepreneurs, they saw value, they see value in the underutilized spaces and um, places and assets and skills that are all around us, but traditional stakeholders, traditional companies based on ownership didn't see those. So this invisibility plays out in a lot of different ways. Start clean with Clorox, because Clorox delivers a powerful clean every time. Because messes happen. Because... Oh, my, the charcoal mess. Great, because why would I put that on my face when I could drop it in my sink? This is what I get for multitasking. Ugh, why is charcoal so sticky? <clears throat> Hello? Hey, Janice. I am so sorry. I thought I was on mute. <laughs> no, we don't need to reschedule. I'll just stay off camera. Ooh, yeah, that happens. So start clean with Clorox. Use Clorox products as directed. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader. You're talking about talent and what's on their resume. One of the most fascinating parts of the book is curating a portfolio career, not a linear career path, but a portfolio career. What is that and what does that look like now? Yeah, I'm so excited to talk about this today because I think this is one of those things, even pre-pandemic, the linear, what I call linear script that a lot of us, including myself, were taught, it's a sort of study hard, get good grades, get a job, work real hard, retire. So study, work, retire. Very much linear career, scripted, predictable, climb the corporate ladder. A lot of these um, metrics and models were very one way. And this is what everyone expected to do. And at the end of that, you would be successful. And I think what we were seeing before the pandemic, this linear career was mm, starting to crack and crumble, if you will. It wasn't working for a lot of people. And in particular, a lot of young people didn't want that career. They wanted something different, something more um, bespoke, more customized, to use Ray's term in, in this regard, something that treated them and looked at them as more of a whole human. Then the pandemic hit, and we have a lot of people saying, wait a minute, it is not about building my life around work. How do I build my work around life? And so one of the biggest shifts that I see, and this relates to career development, professional development, and more broadly, professional identity, is that the future of work is less about a singular pursuit of a career path 
and more about curating one's portfolio career. So thinking the shift from path, which is very much one way, to a portfolio, which is multidimensional, much more customizable, and much more unique to each human that can see them, not just for, what the, again, what's on the resume, but more broadly, all of the right. skills that they have that can contribute to society and add value. And the skills we've learned in the last year, I've learned how to edit, I've learned how to, to you know, all these things now are part of it. But one thing you say is managers need to realize that they may not be hiring someone who's going to stay very long. Why invest in someone who is curating a portfolio career? Why help them create a portfolio career when they're not going to stay? Yeah, so this is key. There is obviously this sense of individual agency and individuals wanting to create and curate their own portfolios. But also from an organizational perspective, this speaks directly to what Ray and Patty were saying earlier, not just around trust and trusting that your talent is going to want to work hard for you, but also recognizing that the future of work is very much in flux. It's full of uncertainty, full of unknowns. No one really knows what the next five or 10 years hold, but we do know that there are going to be lots of shifts in jobs available, automation with you know unknown implications but significant and all of a sudden you go wait a minute if I'm a responsible employer I want all of my talent to succeed whether they're with me now and with me forever or whether it's more of a shorter term situation or even more like a revolving door and so as an employer particularly when you know that you're facing unknowns and uncertainties in your future and you want to be able to care for your talent and have their back regardless of where they're working, that helping your talent create their portfolio careers will not only help them thrive when they're working with you, but you will be setting them up to succeed in life. And I think that all employers have this broader responsibility today, which we've started to experience, I think, much more in the last 19 months. But this is where it actually makes organizationally really good strategic sense to look at this to look at your talent, all of your talent, as having portfolios and not simply helping them along the path. Because paths also are, can be quite risky. If you're pursuing one path and then all of a sudden that job gets automated or that's no longer an option, what do you do? This is when you find people in sort of professional identity crises, right? And so you're thinking about this in terms of broader resilience and adaptability, but also just this sense that you want your talent to succeed. Definitely when they're with you, but also when, you know, when they go on and do the other things that they'll do in their lives. April, you talk about trust, but you also say a high CEO pay, an outrageous CEO pay, does not engender trust. How do you convince the boss to take less money? Yeah, well, and it's not always about taking less money. It's looking at what are... What is the factor between your um, average employee and the CEO? Here in the U.S., we have extraordinary inequality between the average worker and CEOs. And think about the kinds of situations that engender trust. If you know, and it speaks again to what Patty and Ray were saying, if you know that um, you have um, that degree of disconnect or a few people in your company are doing that well, and a lot of people in the company are struggling to make ends meet. That is not a very trustworthy culture. If you know that actually a company, and here we're talking not just about cognitive trust where 
people are reliable and dependable, but also emotional trust, where you trust that people care about one another and will look out for one another. That if you have a situation in which a few people are doing really well and a lot of people are not, that does not engender trust across the organization in terms of the emotional trust that binds people together, holds them together, and helps us navigate change well together. April, one last question. Uh, you, you had flux forced on you quite early. Both your parents died in a car accident when you were in college. You completely flipped the script on your career. Very briefly, of these eight superpowers, which has helped you the most? Oh, goodness. The last one, I think, which is learning how to let go of the future. And that is all about our relationship to control. And it doesn't mean that letting go is not giving up. It's not failing. It's not doomsdaying. Rather, that superpower says we need to learn how to let go of the future, the one future that we think we can predict in order to let better futures emerge. And so in my case, letting go of what could no longer be was actually really freeing and really empowering. That was author and futurist April Rennie. She joined us at CNBC's At Work Summit on October 13th, 2021. The keynote is produced by the CNBC events team. Don't forget to subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, share it with a friend. You can visit CNBCEvents.com to learn about upcoming events and how you can join us. We'd love to see you. I'm Tyler Matheson. Thanks for listening. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers. But you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.